Yes, Lord, and we believe that is true. That for endless days, we will sing your praise. God, for all those who have confessed you as their Lord and Savior, that is the truth that cannot be taken or shaken from us. God, I pray in Jesus' name right now, our hearts, our minds, our eyes would be lifted to that reality. And we would be so passionate and stirred with a great sense of urgency to live our lives in the light of that coming day. Father, this world is not our home. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, you would continue to meet with us now by your Spirit. God, I pray you would continue to stir and convict and refresh and instruct us for our good and for your glory. I pray we would be a church that humbles ourselves under your authority, that would do well to pay attention to the words that you would say to your church today. And we would not be a church that hears your word spoken to us and then goes away and forgets. God, it would not be a flash in the pan, but Lord, you would press it into our hearts now by your Holy Spirit to be changed, God, to be more like you today than we were even when we came in and to love you more as an overflow of that. God, we are people in need of a touch of glory here. Would you lead us now through your word by your spirit? Guard my mouth from error and say what you want to say. We pray this in the awesome and majestic and powerful and magnificent name of Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, in Jesus' name, say amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord for what he's doing to build his church. And right now, as we have mentioned, this Sunday marks the kicking off of the 2017-2018 ministry year here at Harvest Ottawa. It's a significant Sunday, and it's going to set the trajectory, and I can't wait to share with you how God is leading us and where he is leading us into this new year. And this title of this morning's message is, as you'll see on the screen, Built to Last. Built to Last. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. And if you do not have a copy of God's word in front of you, just slide up your hand and our ushers are coming forward right now to put a copy in front of you. Okay, just slide up your hand. We take God's word seriously and we want to make sure you have all that you need to follow along because we believe that God has something to say to us today. Amen? Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. And as we kick off our ministry year, there is no better place to start than to look not only at what foundation this church must be built upon, but also how we are called to be building on that foundation. Two pieces, what the foundation is and how we are called to be building upon it. If we are to continue to see it established for God's glory. And here's a, here's a note that's going to set the tone for this text. God is very passionate about this. He cares about how his church is built. So much he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to be its foundation. He's very passionate about it. And as his people, we must be passionate about it also. If it matters to him, it must matter to us. Amen? Amen? Yes. And the truth is this. For any structure to survive, it needs a strong foundation. And what 
is built on that foundation must have the power and strength to withstand whatever could come against it. Okay? For any structure to survive, it needs a solid foundation and it must be built, the structure must be built with the power to sustain it and to protect it against what would come against it. Now the problem is this we face today. Most churches today are either not building on the proper foundation or those that claim to be are trying to build on a foundation through methods, ideas, and strategy that will not or cannot last into eternity. If I could sum that up, I'd say this. Many churches today are not being built to last. And that's a sobering word for us this morning. In fact, Crawford Loritz, he's a pastor in the United States, he said this, you'll see it on the screen, much of our churches today are like luxury cars on treadmills. We look good and we smell good, but we have no power. We look good, we've got the fancy banners and the signs and the lights and the music and the comfy seats. We smell good, but we have no power. A little bit of context for our passage today. Here in this text, the Corinthian church is facing the same issue right now that we are facing today. There's nothing new under the sun. Little background on this. This is taking place. Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthians to the church in Corinth. You'll see where that is in a moment here on the screen. Corinth is in Greece, which is a major trade city in southern Greece. You can see it's positioned for that. And people were coming to Corinth from all over the world. Kind of like Ottawa. Go figure. People are coming to Corinth from all over the world to do business, to do trading. And so you get different religious practices. You get different lifestyles. You get different cultural influences all encroaching and kind of like this big melting pot of a community. And what was happening is that um, it was actually making Corinth one of the most morally corrupt cities known at the time. In fact, there there was a slogan at the time that said, if you were to Corinthianize something, you would corrupt it. Not a good reputation. I've been Corinthianized. Right? That's how bad this was. And this was in Greece. That's how bad this was getting. And the apostle Paul was called and planted this church, this church in Corinth earlier and is now writing a few years later to warn them. This is AD 55. He's writing to warn them and to address the divisions or factions that had formed in the church as a result of this worldliness that is creeping into it and the church's unwillingness to separate from the culture around them. As the culture increased in its moral corruption, the sad reality was, so did the church. Sound familiar? And although Paul had made sure they'd been planted on a good foundation, the church had not been building on that foundation faithfully and was in danger of breaking up. It started well, but it was in danger of not finishing well. I don't want to be a church, Harvest Ottawa does not want to be a church that starts well but doesn't finish well. Amen? 
We don't want to be planted on the foundation of Christ and seeing the church built on the foundation of Christ through the power of Christ and then tail off because culture's influence creeps in unchecked. I don't want that. Do you want that? And here we see three crucial truths we must embrace without compromise. If we are to see this church built to last for God's glory both now and into eternity with what's coming when it is tested. And to honor the reading of God's word, let's stand and we'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 10 to 15. Paul says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, to build a church at last, that last, we first see this, we must build on the foundation of Christ. To build a church at last, we must build on the foundation of Christ. Look at the first part of verse 10. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now, see that word there, according to grace. According to the grace God has given me. The the Greek word there for grace means according to the favor or kindness a gift brought to man by Christ, okay? According to the kindness God has given to me, according to the favor God has given me, because what's grace? You'll see a definition on the screen, really simplified version of God's grace is this, God giving us what we don't deserve. So what Paul is saying here is, I don't deserve this ministry. I pray every single volunteer in this church has that over their heart every day. I do not deserve to serve in this church, to be a part of God's church, but by the grace of God, he has given it to me, the privilege of doing so. And as a result of God's grace, Paul was able to build as a skilled, the Greek word there for skilled, very, very important. Every word's inspired, every word gets preached, amen? So according to the grace God given me, a skilled master builder, that is the same Greek word for wise, A wise builder, designer, in laying the foundation for the church that others were now building upon. Who were the others? This was the leaders of the Corinthian church that had been put in place. They were building on the foundation that had been laid. And later on, it was Apollos, it was Timothy, it was Titus. All these men that that Paul had trained up in the fear of the Lord to pastor these churches. You say, what is this foundation he's laying I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon that. Well, the foundation is this. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and upholding the authority of God's word. This is the foundation for every single church that Paul planted and 
God's design for how every single church today should be planted on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which proclaims every single moment that God's only son, Jesus Christ, came to earth to pay the penalty for your sins and mine, that as we repent of our sin and confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? And it is through him and him alone, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of the church. He is the foundation of this church. And as a result of that, God sending his own son to give his life for you and me for the building of his church. Look what he goes on to say in the back half of verse 10. As a result of this, let each one take care how he builds upon it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, now Paul gives a warning. He says, take care, the Greek, be watchful or alert. Be discerning in how the building of the church is going. Be watchful. Why do we need to be watchful? Because there's an enemy who wants to see it taken out. He says, be watchful, alert, and discerning in the building to be sure that everything that is done, all of the preaching that is done, all of the fellowship that is done, all of the care and the governance and the ministries that are going in that church is done with Christ as its focus and foundation and in obedience to how he wants the church built up in his way and in his time. If I could sum that up, I'll take it back to our pre-service video this morning it is this keep the focus keep the foundation vertical keep the foundation vertical God first and not man God first and not man it's not what does man think should be done to build this church what does man think should be done to reach the community what does man think we should be doing to get more people in the door But what does God know needs to be done? We focus on what God's doing and on building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's going to bring as many people as he wants and that's not our concern other than let's make sure we have enough chairs. He's going to build his church. Our focus is to press into him as our first love. The Corinthian church had shifted from this Christ said, they started out so well. I don't want to be a church that just starts out so well. They had shifted their focus to, from the Christ-centered vertical focus to this man-centered horizontal strategies that they thought in their human wisdom would blend in and have favor with the culture around them. Sound familiar? How many churches today have pride flags hanging from their marquees? See, Paul didn't come up with some new man-made strategy that that he designed for church growth. He didn't say, okay, Corinthian church, here's six strategies, six steps for church growth. No, there was only one method for church growth, only one foundation upon which it can grow to last. The foundation he was laying was the foundation of Christ. He's not creating the foundation, he's just laying what's already been the foundation by preaching it and proclaiming 
the gospel, Christ alone. He's not trying for some attractional church method, but in faith, laying the only foundation that Christ promises to bless. It's the only one. So much so, he gave his only life for it. It's the only one that he promises to bless. And here's the reality. You'll see it on the screen here. If Christ is not the foundation for the church, then that is a church that has no solid foundation. Bottom line. If Christ is not the foundation of the church, then that is a church that does not have a solid foundation. I don't care how glamorous it looks. I don't care even how many people are attending. If the foundation is not Jesus Christ, there is no solid foundation. Every part must be built upon him. Now take a look around you today. Take a look around you, loved ones. There's too much, would you agree? Would you agree with this statement? There's too much world in the church and not enough church in the world. There's too much world in the church and not enough church in the world. We're facing the same issues today as the Corinthian church is facing here. And too often the bake sale or movie night has replaced the prayer meeting. I got nothing against bake sales. But when it starts to replace the prayer meeting, there's an issue. Attentiveness to the methods of cultural relevance, motivational talks replacing the preaching of God's word, removing biblical preaching, no longer exhorting people to holiness and godliness has replaced attentiveness to God's word. Listen, all in the name of relevance. We've got to be culturally relevant and we're afraid that what's going to happen. Listen, they lose the fear of the Lord and they put it on the fear of man. Listen, you want to try to make, <laughs> trying to make, trying to make God's word relevant, honestly, loved ones, is like trying to make water wet. Just saying. There's nothing new under the sun. Wouldn't you agree that this was written in AD 55, this text we're looking at today? And here we are in 2017 facing the same issues. In fact, it is the only source of relevance that will or can last throughout every age and generation, and it alone is what every heart, yours and mine, and every single person you will pass on the street today and in your workplace and anywhere else you go, it's what every heart longs for. The longing for eternity, Ecclesiastes 3.11, that has been placed into the heart of man that can only be filled with an eternal power. It's what every heart longs for. And here's, this just struck me today, and I was weeping in preparation for this this week as I thought through this. You see it on the screen. A church that seeks the favor of man will always compromise on faithfulness to Christ. You cannot have it both ways. Just let that hang out there for a moment. The church that seeks the favor of man will always compromise on faithfulness to Christ. You cannot have it both ways. The, the leadership of the church that ceases to govern in the fear of the Lord and governs in the fear of men will always compromise. Bottom line, sin goes unchecked. Cultural influence creeps in. And instead of being in the world and not of it, we are in the world and of it. 
See, we are called, loved ones, to take care and be wise in how the church is built up on the foundation of Christ through the word of Christ. And how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we take care in building? Well, here's four snapshots of how we build on the foundation of Christ. And these will be fleshed out this year. All the more, you'll see them right around this gym. Number one is this, right over there. We preach Christ unapologetically. You have heard the gospel twice already in this sermon. You will hear it probably two to three more times. We preach Christ unapologetically. That means we do not apologize for what God's word says. And when I sit down, I love you, love you so much, church. But here's the reality. When I sit down to prep a message each week, I'm not thinking, what does the church want to hear? I'm thinking, what does God want said to his church this week? You don't want me to do it the other way. Nothing good comes from it. We don't apologize for what God's word says. We do this all the time, every time. Harvest kids right now. My brother in the Lord, Bert Veldman, is preaching to your children right now. Praise the Lord. And he has been prepping like an animal this week. Because that's what Bert does. He's preaching to your kids right now. Here in the sermon. And, and you will see that in our small groups. You'll see that in our prayer nights. It has to saturate everything we do. Four ways we build on the foundation of Christ. Number one, we preach Christ unapologetically all the time, every time. Number two, we worship Christ unashamedly. Every single song exalts him. I always give a little challenge at Party with the Pastors and Harvest Essentials. Try to find a worship song that we sing that does not exalt Jesus Christ. Try it. Every song that comes forward is run through our elders for doctrinal accuracy and faithfulness to the word of God, and it has to point to Jesus Christ as its center. We are called to worship him, John 4, 23, 24, in spirit and in truth from his word faithfully. Four ways we build on the foundation of Christ. We preach Christ unapologetically. We worship Christ unashamedly, not just on Sundays, but in our lives. And number three, we pray to Christ unseeking, unceasingly, unceasingly. We have a slogan around here, and it's this. Without prayer, church, we're dead. Without prayer, we're dead. Prayer is a declaration of our dependence on the Lord. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I was prepping this morning on my front porch, thinking through this part of, the, part of the message, and I love it when I walk in here on Sunday mornings and I see people huddled in prayer. I, I love it. After the service, whether it's people coming up or praying in their seats, because there's a declaration of, Lord, I need you. We need you. And I got to tell you, even this... Even these last two weeks, we have a Sunday's coming meeting where we go over the service for the weekend. It's on Fridays at 4.30 via Google Chat. And Josh, who you saw today leading, and Kevin, our sound captain. Um, I was a couple minutes late for this meeting. And I logged in, and all I could see was the top of their heads shining. Well, Josh's head. Because they were bowed in prayer. Like, that's awesome. And I pray that never leaves. To say, Lord, our dependence is on you alone. We need you in every situation, every meeting. Look, don't let us take a step. 
Four ways we build on the foundation of Christ. We preach Christ unapologetically. We worship him unashamedly. We pray to Christ unseekingly. And lastly, we witness for Christ unafraid with boldness. What's boldness? Courageous clarity. It's what it is. You're not standing on a soapbox with a red face pounding your Bible. It's courageous clarity when you're in the workplace. What are you doing this weekend? I'm going to church. What's your church all about? Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus Christ? Let me tell you. Courageous clarity in the face of potential opposition. These are what we are committed to in every ministry here, all by God's grace. Just like it was for Paul, same here. He's given us the entrustment of this church in this ministry, all by God's grace and for his glory. These pillars don't change. Our foundation doesn't change, and they won't, by the grace of God. So pray, pray for this church, pray for the leaders of this church, pray for one another, because here's the question, how about you? How about you? Is your desire to see Jesus Christ as the foundation of the church and to see each part of the church built up in him, even when it means your agendas and desires and the desires of this culture and this world that creep in need to be laid down for Christ's desires for his church? Our pride says no. Our heart screams yes. He's the one I'm longing for. You'll see it on the screen here because here's the reality. When we lay down, if we don't, if we don't quickly lay down our own desires and, and passions of what we want in our man-centered ways for the church and the ministries that are represented here. Here's what happens. Our goal is never to be consumer Christians. I just want to take in, take in, take in. I want to take in. I want to get the church the way I want the church. I want to serve when I want to serve. I want to serve where I want to serve. And I want to serve how I want to serve. That's consumer Christianity. And our goal is never to be consumer Christians, but to be Christians who are consumed. Consumed with the glory of God in his church. Our goal is never to be consumer Christians. Our goal is to be Christians who are consumed with a passion that is birthed out of a drawing near to Jesus Christ as our first love. And he will do it. He has promised this, see, this is what keeps the church from becoming a place of entertainment or little more than a hobby that one consumes. That when someone's tired of it, why do you think there's so much church hopping going on? So often. Keeps church from becoming a hobby and just some form of entertainment that's convenient for you. This is the passion of a vertical church. To be consumed for the glory of God. It was said of Jesus Christ that zeal for the house of the Lord would consume him. He's our model, and this is what he desires to give everyone who is his child for his glory. To build a church that lasts, we must build on the foundation of Christ, and when we are committed to that, we then see that we must build with the power of Christ. Foundation is in place on Jesus Christ, now we must build on that with the power of Christ. Look at verses 12 and 13. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire 
and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. See, in verse 12 there, where Paul says, if anyone builds. See, Paul is shifting his warning to the church now by no longer focusing on the foundation of the church, but rather how that foundation is built on. And he gives us here in verse 12, two materials. There's only two kinds of materials that the church is built on. It's one or the other. And he says the first one is this. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones. See, these are, these are the pictures and the symbols here of quality, enduring, valuable materials. The picture of dedicated spiritual service done in faith and obedience to Christ and in the power of Christ. That's the picture of these fine, valuable, costly materials. This is service to see the church built up that is costly, sacrificial, and aligned with kingdom priorities because it is done out of a vertical love for God that overflows to a love for his people. Gold, silver, precious stone. And we see the other type of material, Paul lists, wood, hay, straw. These are cheap materials of little to no quality that will not last and are the picture of service for Christ that is not done in the power of Christ, but in the power of the flesh and is obedient and disobedient to scripture because it is horizontally man-centered. It is horizontally man-centered or me-centered. As I said, how I want things to be done, when I want them to be done, and what opportunities I am only willing to serve in. Now, why is this important to know? Why is it so, I'm just so thankful for God's word and how the Holy Spirit gives us these tools and these warnings for us as the church. Because look at, look at verse 13, why this is so important. Paul identified these things under the inspiration of the Spirit. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. You see there, Paul states the quality of the work of each person will be revealed. That word manifest means to be made uh, clear. It will be revealed. It will be made clear to all on the day when Christ comes back to judge the earth. Notice capital D on that day. Every time you see capital D on that day, it means the day of the Lord, of Christ's second coming. Okay? And the fire here, those are verse 13. He says, they will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire. What's the purpose of the fire? Because it's the picture of the judgment of the work that has been done. Okay? The fire tests. The fire reveals the quality of it. The Greek word there for test means to examine or prove the quality of the work. It will prove it, whether the work was good or not. And Paul, you see what he's doing here? He puts it in light of eternity, of Christ coming back. He's calling the believers to build urgently in light of the coming day. Look around us, church. Look around us. We are now closer than ever before in human history to the return of Jesus Christ right now. Look around. The day is coming. The work will be tested 
It will be tested. And we don't, I gotta clarify this here. We're not talking about the final judge. This isn't the final judgment of those who are being saved or not, but it is the judgment of the works that Christ's followers have done in his power for his glory with the opportunities entrusted to them to see the church built up. He's gonna test the work. What did you do with the opportunity I gave you to serve and harvest kids? What did you do with the opportunity, loved one? You're not trying to earn my love. This doesn't, our works for Christ do not increase God's love for us. But what we clearly see here and what we're going to see in a moment here, God is going to give a reward for faithful service, whatever that is. And he's going to say, what'd you do with those opportunities? Week in and week out. Why is it, why, this struck me this week, why is it, that in most churches around the world, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. This is a torpedo into that stat. If we take that seriously, like, think about, think about this. In thinking about how we build Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. The, the picture of a matchstick house came in. You can put those on, Aaron, and we can check those out. Trying to build a church in our own strength by horizontal means, by being disobedient to Christ and not in the power of Christ, is like trying to build a solid house from matchsticks that will withstand the fire. These are matchstick houses. Now think about that. Don't they look good? Like that, whoever did that just put me to shame. Like I build with my little two-year-old and like collapse, collapse. Can't do, that's amazing. Think about the time that was invested. Think about the resources that were invested to that. The skills that had to be practiced for that. Just look at it. It's amazing. I can't do that. You see, and more and more churches are being built this way. Look around us in the culture, loved ones. They look good. They got lots of time. They got energy, resources, and skills that are put into building them. Praise the Lord. But there is absolutely no power in them that will last when the fire hits. And in the end, this is what will be left. You'll see it on the screen. This is what will be left. That's a sobering word. That Paul gives us. See, because here's, here's the reality. Just let that sit there for a while. I just sat there at my desk this week and looked at this picture for like 20 minutes. And just wept. Like, Lord, are we building for eternity in the power of Jesus Christ? You gave everything for your church. Are we giving it all for you? Are you really all to us? Is Christ everything to us? Do we show it? See, because here's the reality, and you'll see this quote here. For a work to last into eternity, it must come from a power that is eternal. For a work to last into eternity, it must come from a power that is eternal. And Jesus Christ alone promised that he would build his church and it is his power alone through the faithful service of his people as his hands and feet that must be used to build it in order that the gates of hell will not prevail at, against it. Here's the reality summary came this morning. Satan laughs at man's efforts, but he shudders at the Lord's. Satan laughs at our matchstick houses. 
They may look really good, filled with lots of people. He laughs at it. No threat, but he shudders at the Lord's work. Just read the book of James and you'll find out how much. John 15, 5, this is a key verse for this church. Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Whoever abides in me, it is he that bears much fruit. For a par- sobering word right here. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Matchstick houses. Wood, hay, straw. It's a question. Do we as a church serve like we believe this is true? Do I? Do you? Are we desperately, dependently, and urgently taking the opportunities to serve that God has put in front of us and asking him to work in and through us for his glory, for a work that will last into eternity? Whose strength are you relying on? Whose strength am I? Who's with, I gotta fight this, loved ones, every week in preparing a message. Whose wisdom are you using right now, Ray? Man's or the Lord's? You don't wanna hear what I have to say. Ask my wife. Whose wisdom are you using? See, if, this is a question that I, I ask our servant teams and our servant leaders quite often, and it is this. Litmus. If the Holy Spirit decided to not show up here on Sunday morning one Sunday, would we notice? I hope to God we would. I hope it would be a train wreck without him to get our attention. And I got to say, I was so humbled this week in thinking of this day and so many of our people giving of themselves in the faithful service to the Lord. I have loved watching that. From our core group stage of seven people to now our service teams and Harvest Kids and AV and Welcome and Tellering set up, tear down, loved ones. It is humbling and it is amazing to see and God is blessing this church through faithful service that wants to seek him above all. It's beautiful. And you say, well, wait a second. I want to be a part of that. Like, how can my heart be positioned to serve Christ this way? What does this look like for me? Well, here. If you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, this is where it starts for you. Surrendering your life to him and repenting of your sin. Why? Because if you are not surrendered to him, it is impossible to have power through him. If you are not surrendered to him, it is impossible to have power through him. He gives us power through his Holy Spirit, which is the seal of our salvation and of his children. And if you're here and and you are a follower of Christ, Here it is, it starts with humility. It's a big word around here. It starts with humility. Through making the priority of your God time, renewing your mind in the word of God every day, being filled, abiding with Jesus Christ, your God time, the priority of prayer in your life, unifying our hearts to the Lord's, the priority of the church, taking, making church a priority The priority of the church, just simple truth, loved ones, the priority of the church leads to passion for the church. 
It's just true. You make the church a priority, God fuels the passion for it in your heart. Priority always leads to passion. And then take the opportunities that he's given to serve in this church. The Lord has chosen in his wisdom to use his power through you and me to build his church on him and his foundation. And this struck me so sobering this week. At the end of this point, loved ones, it is this. I don't know about you, but I just do not want Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa. Aaron, can you put that fire picture back up, please? I just do not want Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa to have the biggest bonfire in heaven. Because all we've done for decades is throw wood, hay, and straw on our foundation. Is that your prayer as well? I don't want to have the biggest bonfire in heaven. God wants his church to be built to last. And to build a church that lasts, we must build on the foundation of Christ and build with the power of Christ. And lastly, leading to this, we must build for the reward of of Christ. We must build for the reward of Christ. Look at verses 14 and 15. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, Paul states here that if the work that is tested by the fire survives, then that person will receive a reward from Christ himself. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now the reward there, the Greek word there for reward, you say, what kind of reward? Well, the Greek word there for reward means is the same as like wages. But these aren't wages like when you go to your job and you get paid, because here's the reality. God doesn't owe you or me anything, Right? But in his grace, this is another picture of God's abundant grace, he chooses to reward us for our faithful service in him. And here's the reality, loved ones. We don't know what this reward is. The scripture doesn't tell us. But we know it's coming for those who are faithful. We know the reward for our works. And what we have to understand is this. Our reward for our works is not salvation in Christ. You can't earn your salvation by serving in a church. You can't earn your salvation and say, I'm going to do like 20 good works for God today and maybe he'll have some more faith. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. How do we know? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you'll see it on the screen. says this, for by grace, there's that word again, God giving us what we don't deserve. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. You cannot earn this, loved ones. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Love that, so clear. So that no one may boast. You are not saved by your works. But here's the reality that we also are encouraged by. Look at verse 15. It says this, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though, so you lose your reward that God wanted to give you through Jesus Christ, though he himself will be saved. Okay? But only is through fire. See, even though a follower of Christ may lose their reward for their service to Christ, they will still be saved through the blood of Christ. Here's the reality. You cannot, if you are genuinely saved in Jesus Christ here this morning, you cannot lose your salvation. If you are genuinely saved in Jesus Christ, it is impossible to lose your salvation. How do you know? Well, let's just let's look at a few. Here you go. Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. 
God's not going to cop out. God starts well, and oh yes, he finishes well. Okay, just start there and sit on that verse for the next week of your God time. Okay, and if we say this, that, like, here's, the, here's the danger there. And God's showing us grace that way. If we say, well, getting to heaven's good enough for me. I mean, I'm going to be with Jesus. I mean, I've got my fire insurance. I got my fire insurance. I'm good. Why do I need to step up and serve him? Why can't that 20% do the work in the church? I mean, I'm good. I'm still going to be with Jesus. I'm a genuine follower of Christ. Then in love, I say this, church, out of love for you. You have a misunderstanding of salvation and what it really calls the follower of Christ to. We are not called to be consumer Christians. We are called to be Christians who are consumed. And you say, well, wait a sec. What does is, what is salvation actually call us to besides being in heaven with the Lord? Let's take a look at what Jesus said right here. Matthew 16, 24 to 25. Jesus says this to his disciples. If anyone would come after me, anyone, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels. There's the day of the Lord right there. In the glory of his Father. What a day. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And although our greatest reward will be getting to be in the presence of Christ himself for all eternity, make no mistake, Christ calls us to join him right now in seeing his church built with faithfulness, urgency, and passion by pressing into him and building on him as our only foundation, building with his power and not our own, and building for the reward that he promised he will give to those faithful to him. Just ask yourself the question. You say, what am I take steps? I'm going to leave you with these questions right here. Ask yourself the question. Am I serving Christ in his church this way to see it built up for his glory? Is that me? If not, if not, in love, what is the next step I need to take to follow him in this? There's tons of opportunities here. Just visit Margany and at the Connections desk on your way out. And he'll show you in every ministry. See, because here's the reality, church. We are trusting God for great days ahead of us. There are many in this city who are his, and he's calling us to go after. And the fearful world around us needs a fearless church to pursue them, Tozer says. Yes, Lord, may it be so. May it be here. Don't let us take a step without you. Don't let us take a step. God is just getting started. This is our calling. This is our mission. And this is the pursuit of a church that is built to last. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that your word is so clear. It's so clear and it's so loving for us that you would love us so much to give us a word like this. You say, yes, your reward is with me, but I have a reward for you. Lord, I, I don't know what that's going to be, but if it's a well done, good and f faithful servant, 
That's great. That's awesome. But God, we can't be faithful without you. And so I pray in Jesus' name right now, there would not be guilt or condemnation, but there would be an urgency in our hearts to say, God, I need you. My heart isn't there at this place yet. God, would you do this in me? And you will. You promise to do it. Father, I pray right now you would be stirring many hearts, God. To say, I want to be a part of this work that will outlast myself, that will outlast my kids' generation and their generation, and will stand the fire that will test it at eternity. Father, I pray we be so committed to that because we are committed to you. And so, Lord, seal this word in our hearts right now as you refresh and convict and instruct and teach. May we not in pride back away from this, but may we humble ourselves under your authority because it's true. Every word of the Lord will prove true. We love you, Lord. And as we sing this last song, may it be with such zeal for your house, such passion for you. And may our anthem be, Lord, build your kingdom here. In Jesus' name, amen.